0: good morning. My name's Ryan. Great to see everyone this morning, to be with you, those of you who are gathered with us online. um, We're so thankful that you're with us this morning and we're continuing in our study. We began last week um, looking at the book of Amos and we are going to continue that this morning. Um, looking at chapter two, and so so great to uh, to be with you all. One of the things I want to share with you, so those of you that are here with us this morning, but also those that are uh, gathering online, and perhaps um, your children have been, you know, just a, a concern for you um, or you, you sometimes get a little worried about what's going on. I've said many times as we gather here, they don't distract me in any way, um, but if for whatever reason it is, uh, you know, just a, a little bit challenging for you and you'd like to um, take them, we have made space uh, for kids um, and you can just go out the back doors and the um, uh, the worship gathering is being broadcast in that room. And so again, if you're online and you're thinking, I'd love to come, but I've kind of been worried about what I'm I'm going to do with my children. Uh, you will go with them, so you're not dropping them off, um, but you can go back there with them and uh, and watch uh, um, and participate in the worship gathering here in person, um, even a little bit remotely. So, wanted to make you aware of that new addition. Our tech team and uh, kids ministry team have done a great job of preparing that space for us. So, as we continue In looking at the book of Amos, you'll remember that last week we uh, made it clear that Amos was not something that meant add me on Snapchat, but is a prophet of God, and um, one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And one of the reasons that the interesting thing about Amos, or a little bit of his biographical background, is the fact that he... Uh, was a shepherd. He was not what he would call, he would, he would deflect later as we get a little bit further into this book. We'll see he deflects being uh, attributed or called a professional prophet. He was a, essentially a farmer or a shepherd, um, pre- more than likely someone that of, of, of some wealth and owned uh, sheep and um, a flock and was entrusted, but God gave him a message to bring to Israel. And he lived in Judah, the southern kingdom, as you might remember in Kings. The kingdoms are separate after Solomon's death. We have the uh, nor- northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And those two kingdoms have sort of been uh, attacking one another like brothers might attack one another really since, I mean, very early in their uh, creation. And so uh, these kingdoms, uh, uh, or, or Amos, Living in Judah is called to go to Israel and deliver this message of God's judgment against all of the sin and the brokenness. And what we were reminded of last week was that God sees injustice and God will judge those injustices. And will ultimately bring final justice once and for all. And so as we look around our world and we see all of the injustice and all of the challenges that our world faces, sometimes I know I can ask myself the question as we just prayed, Lord, what are you up to? What is going on in this world? But he does see the injustices of the world and he will one day vindicate um, those things. As we continue into chapter two, and we touched on this very briefly last week, though, we're going to get Amos is narrowing the, his focus or his attention on who he is speaking to, the judgment that God is delivering. And here he's speaking this morning, we're going to look at his judgment, God's judgment against Judah and Israel specifically. So last week, the focus primarily was on those outer, uh, the countries that surrounded Israel, their neighbors, and how they had rejected God, they had lived um, completely counter to God. They had done great atrocities against their people and against the people of God, and God would judge all of those things. But if God will judge the nations, if God is going to judge those outside of his family, not his people, but the surrounding people, how much more must God judge the sins of his own people? God judged the nations surrounding Israel And they had no benefit. They did not have the benefit of being called his people. And so as we look at this text this morning, we're going to see that those who are called by his name, his own people, will be judged. So in Amos chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, God says, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord. And have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. God says, Judah, you sinned against me by rejecting my word. You rejected God's word. That's what they did. Now, Amos being from Judah, one of the reasons that it's believed that he begins in Israel, again, he is speaking to Israel, having come up from Judah, and he begins here after talking about the nations going to Judah because he doesn't want to look like and and, and doesn't want to presume that his people are just sinless, or we're, we're without any judgment, um, you know, in, in sports, we call the, the team, you know, like people like me who, who can see no wrong in the America's team, the greatest team that were called homers. And so Amos didn't want to be perceived as a homer as he comes up to Israel and he's about to, uh, you know, uh, call out judgment against uh, uh, Israel. He had to first address the sins of his own people and the sins of his own people were real and were great. And he knew, and God knew, that if the Israelites were going to hear his judgment against them, which we're going to see in just a moment, he must also acknowledge the, the sins of his own people. So Amos begins by sharing these sins of Judah. And it is a short verse there. And as a reminder, you might be wondering if you missed last week. You can go back and catch up, by the way, on our website, on our, through our podcast. But it says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four and we know that this poetry, sort of this way of, of, of Amos speaking here, he's, he's describing the overflow of sins. There's not just three transgressions. This isn't just some small thing. This is just one item. We know one of the things about God is that he is long-suffering. And oh, how we know that in our world today. We see the sins of the world multiplying and multiplying and multiplying, both within our own heart and those that we look out externally. And we know and we're grateful that God is patient. But he says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, basically saying, Judah, like all of the other nations, all of the other nations that did not have the benefit of knowing me, did not have the benefit of being given my word, you have overflowed with sin And you have rejected the law of the Lord, rejected God's word. God had revealed his will to his people through his word, through the law. This is what I want you to do. This is for your good, for my glory. There's a reason that I've given you this word. And his people are expected to live by them. But they have not. They've rejected the law of the Lord and not kept his statutes. And what have they done? Their lies have led them astray. The lies that they have believed, the lies that their fathers believed that had been passed down to them, those lies had led them astray. And they had gotten away from following God generation after generation. And as we look through, if we go backwards in our Old Testament and we see generation after generation after generation getting further and further and further away from God, God had made a covenant with Abraham, and since that moment, it's almost as if the covenant was made, and then God's people began to drift away from him. God makes a covenant with Moses. Nearly immediately, God, he begins, God's people begin to drift away from him, because they do not keep the law. They do not keep his word. And so he says, I will send fire upon Judah, and it's, it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We know the word of God. We know the commandments of God. And we're expected to live by them. Not in a way in order to earn our salvation. This isn't legalism. This is God has given us his word. He's given us the direction. He's given us commandments to follow. Primarily, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If we follow those two things, that's what he's told us to do. And how often we drift away. We get consumed with our own way, with what we desire, with what we want to see happen in the world. And we forget what God has called us to do. As Pastor Matt prayed, we look to our neighbor, our neighbor who views the world differently than us, our neighbor that looks differently than us, our neighbor that has a different perspective than us, our neighbor that more than likely or possibly might not at all be walking with the Lord. And we look at them And we forget that we're called to love them unconditionally, to love them. No, we follow our own way. We think of what things we would do. See, the statutes of God, the law of God, it reveals our own sinfulness. When we hold that up, when we consider this truth, To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. When we look at those two commandments that God has given us and we balance those against our own lives, I know in my own heart, here's what my response is, I failed. Lord, I I don't love you like I'm called to love you. I'm not singularly devoted to you, to your word, to your way, to your will in my life. Too often my flesh, my desires creep up and taint that picture. Lord, I don't love my neighbor as you've called me to love my neighbor. Again, I think of what would serve me best. I'm concerned with what I, just my way, my life being more, just more peaceable, more easy. That's bad English, by the way. Sorry. But that's, that's what we're after. We think of ourselves. We're we're so self-centered. We can lose sight of who God has called us to be. And lose sight of those commandments. And we would be wise to remember, which we'll get to in a moment, the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 12 that Pastor Kyle read. That we are to be ready. Our lives are to be marked by Christ. And our lives should reflect that we are the master's servants ready for him to return. Are we ready? Do we look like Christ? Do we model Christ to the world around us? Do we keep his commandments? Or do we go our own way? So Amos delivers this judgment against Judah, telling Israel, and by the way, the Israelites who are hearing this, they're thinking to themselves, yes and amen, Amos. You are right, Your people are sinners. Your people have done everything wrong. And they are thinking that more than likely after Amos has delivered all of this condemnation against the nations and Amos has delivered condemnation and judgment against his people of Judah, surely now God is going to praise Israel for its faithfulness, to praise Israel for how well it's done, to, to contrast Israel in all the way that they have held on to the word of God. No, that could not be further from the truth. So while they are excited to hear about his judgment against uh, Judah, they clearly were not prepared, surely not prepared for the judgment that he would speak against them. And here he gets to even stronger language, speaking of Israel, picking up in verse 6 of chapter 2. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Again, we have this poetic theme reminding every beginning of every judgment, those words. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. He issues these judgments, looking at what they have done, how they have sinned against God. God says, verse nine, yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? So God calls and he says, he comes through Amos to Israel and says, look at all of the ways that you have sinned. They had heard those accusations against Judah and now they receive their own Persecution, Their own, excuse me, prosecution. The words against them. And they are a longer list. These people, what he gets to in verse 9, God's people had been specifically chosen by God, set apart by God. And as we talked about last week, if God is going to judge the nations, how much more his people who've been set apart, who've been called by his name, would he have to judge? Similarly to Judah, they know the law of God. They've been given his word, and yet they also disobeyed. This is what he says against them. These are the judgments. They sold the poor, oppressed the weak, misused the defenseless, profaned God's name, and exploited the destitute for pleasure, What you see all throughout these is you have people who are strong, who have power, who have wealth, who are over some portion of another individual, whether that's culturally or just as an individual. And in every sense of the word, God says, you have used your strength and your power that I gave to you for evil, to harm those people that you should most care for. Abuse of the weak by the strong. That is what God has against Israel. And that theme is repeated over and over as we look backwards in chapter one, the judgments against the nation, and here again in Israel, abuse of the weak. Think about this: all of the judgments against the foreign nations, their judgments, and the reason that God held had something against them was because of the way they treated other nations. He went to the you you invaded, you attacked, you persecuted, you came against my people, these other nations. And Israel, his attack or their attack is on their own people. It's within the nation. Again, how much greater is the grievance that God has? Other nations attacking other nations, not doing it for them, against themselves, but on the attack and going on the offensive. Doesn't make that right. God has clearly judged that in, his, in his, his condemnation of the other nations. But when you contrast that against the judgments of Israel, those are all judgments of attack or uh, prosecution within. These things that Israel has done to themselves The way they have not treated their neighbor, not treated the people they should care the most for. They have treated them with contempt. They have harmed them. And ultimately, they have harmed the witness of God. Israel had been set apart by God to reflect his glory, to be a beacon of hope amongst the nations. As all these other nations are raging around them and attacking them, as God sustains them, as God brings life to them, holds them up, they're called to reflect God's power and to reflect God's truth and to reflect God's hopefulness for the world, to to be a picture, to be light in the midst of darkness. And in reality, they turn on themselves, again, because their desires are for themselves One of the things that we can learn from this, as God clearly speaks judgment against his people, is that we cannot presume on God. His past grace should not make us think that he will just turn a blind eye to our sins. He does not allow that. It is his graciousness to us that he will judge those sins, that he will come against those sins, because that is the only way that healing and restoration can take place, And so Israel, thinking in some way, they must have been thinking to themselves in in, in at least some form or fashion, we know we are the people of God. We know we have the covenant with God, that he will protect us and he will uh, care for us and lead us and always um, be on our side. So we can just do whatever we want to do. And that's clearly, God says, no. We can't presume on his past grace. And for those of us, as Christians today, we know the grace of God. We have experienced that grace in Christ. But we cannot think that we can just go on stepping forward further and further, deeper, deeper into our own sin, into our own selfishness and pride and desires for ourselves and think that God will not one, at one day judge that, come against that, put a halt to that. And he will do that because of his grace, because he doesn't want us to be led astray, to be taken off and killed by the enemy he will not allow that we have that security and that hope but we must realize that the sins that we commit that God will judge those he will come against those things so consider what we have heard in these first two chapters of Amos these judgments against God's people God's people have received every blessing and benefit of knowing God. They have his word. They've been given the rules, how to live, how to live ultimately for their best, for their good, what would serve them well. And in all of these things, after knowing all of these things and having his protection and blessing, What happens? God's people become consumed with themselves, preserving their wealth, self-idolatry, building power. And God says, I'll have none of that. That is not who my people are called to be. And this is what he, as he closes, again, we read this last week as a framing of this text. Verse 12, "'But you made the Nazarites drink wine "'and commanded the prophets, saying, "'You shall not prophesy. "'Don't speak the word of God.'" That's what they told him. And so in 13, "'Behold, I will press you down in your place "'as a cart full of sheaves presses down. "'Flight shall perish from the swift, "'and the strong shall not retain his strength, "'nor shall the mighty save his life. "'He who handles the bow shall not stand, "'and he who is swift of foot shall not save his life.'" Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. God says, I will judge, and there will be nothing that will stop, that will come against, that will prevent me from delivering judgment against these sins. There will be a day of judgment. Israel is guilty. Of these sins. Judah was guilty of these sins. The nations were guilty of these sins. But Israel specifically, Amos is sent to Israel because they are a people that should have known better. We talked last week about our own children, how often parents, we think to ourselves, you should have known better. I've told you. Don't stick your hand in there. Don't do that. I've warned you. I've tried to help you and been protective of you. I've given you all that you need to know. And very often our children, at least mine, periodically don't listen. They find themselves hurting, grieving, dealing with whatever they're dealing with. And we say, this is why I told you, because I loved you. And God is saying to Israel here through Amos, I've told you what it is that you should do. I gave you clear instructions and you went completely the other direction. You opposed me. After all that I had done, all that I had shown you, you opposed me. See, they became consumed with themselves again. And I fear too often. That is our challenge as well. Even in this day, as we consider what can this text, how does this speak to what God, who God is, and what He is saying to us, is that we also so often can become consumed with ourselves, self-idolatry, preservation of our own way of life. But here's why the gospel is really, really good news, friends. When we look at that sinfulness, our own sinfulness. We have to think to ourselves like Israel was made aware of. Israel, you are not just like all of the other nations, you are worse than all of the other nations because of what I have blessed you with. Christian, we are just like so often all of the rest of the world all of the other people surrounding us, all of our neighbors that we look at in some form or judgment or try to sort of figure out a way that we can compare and contrast our way to elevate ourselves above them, we're no different. We aren't any better. And our own lives and experience testify that we deserve the same judgment, the same type of judgment that God spoke against Israel here. And apart from Christ, that is what we receive. See, we should not ask, this is the question that is often asked when we think of sinfulness and we think of how God reconciles himself to sinners and deals with the issue of sinfulness. When we think of the most grievous of sinners, well, the question that's often asked, are you serious, pastor? The, the, the murderer, he gets to go to heaven? The murderer can be made new? And we think of the worst, the most grievous of sinners, and we, we think, however could God accept those? And the right question to ask when we see the word of God laid out before us and then when we examine honestly our own hearts, the right question to ask is how could God ever accept me? How could I be worthy to receive his grace? Israel, after seeing all that the nations had done, now their sin laid out before them, they should say to themselves, they should fall on their knees, Father, how could you ever keep us? within your fold. How could we ever be called your children at all? Because God, you saw all this, again, knowing it all, and yet you still chose us. We should ask how God could ever accept us. And when we do that, what it should lead us towards is to lead us to a heart and a life, not just a Sunday morning, but a life of everlasting worship. Singing to Jesus, praising Jesus, thankfulness to Jesus because we know that we're not worthy. We don't have anything on our own merit that would would allow God to say, yeah, you're good, dude. That's not me. I never have had that. And yet he has accepted me and welcomed me. And it's when we rightly worship Jesus because we acknowledge our own sinfulness, we acknowledge the brokenness that we have, That is what leads to a life of holiness. And it's that holiness that Jesus says should set us apart. Holiness leads to a life always ready for Christ's imminent return. Holiness set apart. Sadly, personal holiness and devotion to Christ is something that is devoid of our culture today. We have lost sight of the call to live differently. We have so ingrained ourselves, like Israel, to the rest of the world with some false idea that if we can attach ourselves to the world, then maybe we can somehow win them. But when we do that, we lose sight of who we're called to be. We are called to be set apart, completely other, looking different. We realize when we look at the sinfulness of our own heart, And realize that we have been accepted in Christ. We worship. And as we worship Jesus with our lives, the overflow of worship is personal holiness. And holiness is what allows us to be, as Luke would say, or as Jesus would say, recorded in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keeping your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once. And when he knocks... See, Jesus says, I'm going to come back, and Peter's confused by this parable, but he says, Jesus says, I'm going to come back, and I need to find you ready. And when Jesus returns, what he's looking for is people who are ready, just as he describes here. The master comes home, and he wants to know that the house is ready to receive him. The lights are on, the bed is turned down, everything is prepared to receive the master. But those who fall asleep those who recline at the table as the watch gets later in the night. And yes, I know we feel, Lord, we are late in the night. We are waiting for you to return. But we don't know the hour. We don't know when he's going to return. But we must be ready. And Jesus, in 41 and following, as Pastor Kyle read for us, Jesus does not mince any words here, friends. He does not take lightly the servants who fall asleep, who get drunk, who lose sight of who they are called to be. And once again, just as was said in Amos, there will be judgment, judgment for those sinners, judgment for those who fall away. And this is a hard teaching this is a hard, this is one of, sometimes you may have heard the hard sayings of Jesus and this text would surely fall in to those hard sayings. But the, the, the key, the point of what Jesus is saying is encapsulated in verses forty in verse 48. The one who did not know and did, did what, excuse me, start over. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating But to those, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Brothers and sisters, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, you have been entrusted with much. You have received the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus And you have received it in spite of your own sinfulness. I have received it in spite of deep, dark, long-suffering sin. Long-lasting sin. And Jesus has been long-suffering with me. And its I know that. And because of that, I have been entrusted with much. Much is demanded of my life. We cannot presume on the grace of God. We must realize who we have been called to be. So let this... Text, let this reminder from Amos and the words of Jesus remind us that we are called to be set apart. We have received the Word of God, we have the entire book right before us. Many of us have three different versions on the little phones that we carry around, we have hundreds of them collecting dust on our shelves. We have been entrusted with this word. We have been entrusted to live lives according to this word. It's those lives that one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to examine. we're, We're called to live and to be holy. Will the Lord Jesus, whenever he returns, come to the door and knock and find his servants ready? Or will we be asleep? Let's pray that we would be awake. Lord Jesus, we do pray that those of us who are called by your name would find ourselves awake and ready for your imminent return. And that 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 truth would be evidenced by the way we live our lives. That we would be a people, a holy people, set apart as you've called us to be. We need your help to do that, Lord Jesus. I confess that we I, I sin. I allow my flesh to get a hold of me so this morning I remind myself I confess to you Lord Jesus that I'm amazed at your grace and your mercy not that you would accept whatever the world might say is the worst of sinners but that you would accept me and I praise you for it I worship you asked by the power of your spirit that my life would reflect you more clearly for anyone that can hear my voice who does not know you as Lord and Savior who perhaps has thought listening to the lies of the enemy or for whatever other reason has just their heart has been bound up surrounded by walls, thinking to themselves that they could not be loved, that surely their sins are too great. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, again, through your spirit, reveal to them, reveal yourself to them. Let them know that you stand waiting with open arms to receive them. that we confess our sins and we just acknowledge our need for a Savior and we lay our lives down believing in your finished work on the cross that we can be made new and we can have eternal life. So I pray that anyone that does not know you, Lord, would believe today. Holy Spirit, go out from this place Through the miracle of technology into homes and rooms all over the globe and awaken the dead to life and set them apart, set us apart so that we might better reflect your glory to a hurting, a grieving, a a broken world. Help us do that, Lord Jesus. We pray. We pray these things in Your mighty name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Before
1: the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfectly a great high priest to.
0: Um, I hope you're encouraged this morning just remembering his faithfulness to us and um, his love for you is great and um, he proved that on the cross once and for all and so let us go out into the world and live for him and for him alone and let our lives be marked um, by songs of hallelujah. We live that word out as we go out into the world. And so we love you. Thank you so much for being with us. Those of you online that are gathering with us, we hope to see you soon. If, if nothing else, just through a little comment or a way of engaging with you. Again, don't forget to text 9700 or text visit CCM to 9700. That's our contactless way of contacting you. So love you guys. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.